I wanted to kind of transition into a space where ordinary folks, you know, day to day, organizing their finances, helping them kind of set goals, reach goals, work towards those. Now we really want to keep in mind taxes, right, Jason? That's something I think us Americans, we all get really passionate and, and fired up about taxes. And when I say deductible, that means can I deduct that 6500 on my tax return? A lot of our clients were saying, hey, where can I put this cash where I'm not going to see it go down 30, 40 percent like maybe a stock fund would. But I also want to receive some income. You ask yourself, Jason, right, what am I building? That's what I like to ask clients. What, what are we building here? What's what's the end game? Excited for this week's edition of the Raz Report. We're here with Kyle Hurley, CPA, Private Wealth Advisor, Monroe Morrow Wealth Management. So you're a CPA as well? I am, Jason. I am. Yep. So how did you not get stuck doing like taxes all day and every day? <laughs> Absolutely. Were you doing that yeah. For a while? Yeah. So I, I started my career in public accounting, worked over at Ernst & Young for about two and a half years. Uh, while I was there, I ended up getting my CPA. Um, and then ultimately kind of just needed a little bit of a change career wise and ended up in the, uh, you know, wealth management space and been happy ever since. So how long you've been in the wealth management space? Yeah, it's actually a um, little over two years now. So, you know, coming up on three years. Um, so March of 21, I think is when I officially came over and uh, it's been great. Nothing, nothing but good things so far. I mean, Kyle, that's like a big change from being a CPA, you know, working with businesses, with high net worth individuals, you know, tax planning, optimization to go to being a money manager, financial advisor. Was it a change you were looking at? Or was it always your plan to go be a financial advisor? Like you want to get your CPA license and then be a financial advisor because then you'd have that that skill where you can help. Or was it something that you were in the tax space or doing that stuff? And you're like, you know what? I want to do something else. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, you know, every every job, every kind of career journey I've gone, I just wanted to take the role of a sponge, right? Not really having a, you know, definitive career path. I just kind of want to jump into things, see how they go and and learn from there. So, you know, I went to the University of New Hampshire, got my degree in accounting and finance, went down the accounting road, um, you know, ultimately did some internships, which led to some job opportunities in the public accounting space. So it was more in their auditing practice, um, you know, helping a lot of their clients prepare financial statements, do a lot of auditing work, um, which, you know, it can be rewarding. But at the same time, Jason, I, it just wasn't the type of work that really was fulfilling for me. I wanted to kind of transition to a, into a space where I was really helping uh, ordinary folks, you know, day to day, uh, you know, organizing their finances, helping them kind of, you know, set goals, reach goals, work towards those. So I think a really eye opening thing for me, you know, this was a lot pandemic driven. I was working from home, doing everything basically in my basement, um, you know, going a little stir crazy. So, you know, personal finance has always been something of interest for me. I actually have a blog that I try and put out something weekly to kind of just help uh, people from, you know, just learns the ins and the outs of personal finance. And that was kind of leading me to realize that's my passion. And, you know, a couple conversations later and, and ended up here at Monroe Morrow and, and uh, really haven't looked back. Yeah, you write for, um, I guess, the Substack dot uh, com, uh, but it's Kyle Hurley at dot Substack dot com, right? You got it. Yep. You got to get Kyle Hurley dot com. Uh, <laughs> I know. I know. I got to yeah. fight for it. So one of the articles I'm reading on uh, your um, blog, what do you think is more important, asset allocation or asset location? 
What do you mean by that? Yeah, it's a, it's a great uh, starting point. So, you know, asset allocation, Jason, is usually something we've all kind of heard of, right? How much stock should I own? How many bonds should I own? Cash, you go across the board, but asset location really boils down to where are those investments, right? You have your taxable, regular, just investment accounts. Um, you have some retirement accounts, IRAs, 401ks. Um, then you have some tax exempt like Roth IRAs, Roth 401ks. So what's been really helpful for clients, prospects is to just say, okay, this is kind of where all your investment currently is. Now we really want to keep in mind taxes, right, Jason? That's something I think us Americans, we all get really passionate and, and fired up about taxes and, and hate paying them, which is understandable. So just kind of taking a step back and saying, okay, you know, this is what you currently have for investments. Um, now we can get a little bit more strategic on where are those held to make sure you're just getting the best uh, possible tax treatment. And most importantly, uh, flexibility. I think that's one of the major things, especially for someone in retirement, is can they give themselves some flexibility in regards to how much income they show in a particular year, which is typically where you want to you know, tap into some more tax exempt Roth accounts, uh, because ultimately all that's tax free. So yeah, asset allocation and asset location, they are very similar, uh, but they almost go hand in hand to just kind of help you you know, you ask yourself, Jason, right? What am I building? That's what I like to ask clients. What, what are we building here? What's what's the end game? And then you can kind of not only pick investments, but where those are ultimately held. Um, that kind of just helps boil it down. Got it. And so like you talk in this blog post about tax exempt accounts, talk about Roth IRAs, REITs, tax deferred accounts, um, IRAs. IRAs, if you, if you work at a company, and they and your W two employee, could, is that and they have a retirement thing where they do a little bit of matching. Can then you have your own IRA as well, or how does that work? It's a great question. So four hundred one ks is kind of what you're describing with on that front, where a lot of companies will will uh, match what you put away, right, up to a certain either dollar amount or percentage. And just a quick uh, tangent on that, we always just like to say, Jason, never leave free money on the table. And what we mean by that is just always make sure you're contributing up to that match from your employer to make sure you are getting you know all that you deserve. Um, but frankly, yeah, to your point, I can have a 401k at work and I can also have my own IRA just held at uh, another institution. Um, but the, the key thing or distinction, Jason, is, is if you have a 401k at your employer, you can still contribute to a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA. You just can't um, do what's called a deductible IRA because you do have um, the ability to, to contribute to a 401k. So it gets a little bit wonky, but um, that is something that we help with clients to so just understand, hey, this is my current situation. What are my options uh, is mostly you know a good starting point. But what do you mean like deductible? So then would you just not do it then? Like, is it just the same as investing in the stock market? Does it not help you? And honestly, I don't know the answers to these questions. So I'm yeah. asking no, absolutely, Jason, you know, fire away. So what I mean by uh, non-deductible, so a deductible IRA contribution. So right now in 2023, I can put $6,500 into a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA. Um, but when I say deductible, that means can I deduct that $6,500 from my tax, on my tax return? Sometimes, you know, if you're a low income and you don't have a 401k at work, then yes, you can deduct that $6,500 on your tax return. But oftentimes the bucket that a lot of not only our clients, but a lot of people I talk to is they typically have a retirement plan offered to them. So they just can't deduct it from a tax standpoint, Jason, but they can still contribute. 
Does that make sense? Got it. But does it make sense to contribute then? I mean, I always like to say, you know, save what you can while you can. So if you're, you know, putting a good chunk away into your 401k plan, next step would just make sure you're okay from a cash flow perspective. You know, okay. this is something I found myself in, Jason, where I was really hammering my 401k and my Roth IRAs. But then I was like, oh, a big expense popped up and I didn't have that much flexible and liquid cash. And what I mean by that is, you know, if I dip into my 401k, typically would have to do that via a 401k loan. Um, otherwise, I'm paying a penalty. Same thing with a Roth IRA can get a little bit tricky on when you can ultimately tap into that. So I always just like to say is just provide yourself flexibility. You know, people say, should I max out my 401k? You know, the, the generic financial planner answer is, yeah, if you can. But if that kind of puts you in a tight uh, position from like, hey, money in the bank, my car breaks down, a big medical expense pops up. Can I uh, pay for that without kind of tapping into those retirement accounts? Okay. And do you know if there's rules against, like, so say you don't have a W-2, is there, well, I guess you'd have to have a W-2. What I was wondering is like, there are rules, income levels. Like if someone has a certain income, can they not contribute to a Roth IRA? You got like, it. So the, the reason I, the reason I ask yeah. you is I can, I always like thought of Roth IRAs for when you're younger, not older, but I, I don't know why I thought that. And maybe I'm wrong. No, and, and you're honestly kind of on that right path, Jason. So the IRS does set uh, compensation limits on when you can contribute to a Roth IRA. Just a very important distinction, Jason. A, there is no compensation limits for a Roth 401k. So I could make a million dollars. And if my employer offers a Roth 401k, I could fully fund that no matter my income level. But with the Roth IRA, the IRS and the government says, whoa, whoa, whoa. They don't want another Peter Thiel here situation, Jason, if you heard that story about how he, you know, somehow got a billion dollars in a Roth IRA. But they basically say, hey, if you make around, I think in 2023, it's about 129 to, a, you know, a buck 44 of your adjusted gross income. They cut you off to contribute to a Roth IRA. You got it. Got it. Okay. So that's, so there's limitations. Now you have a Twitter account. I think it's, uh, what is it? KD it's not your name it's kd hurls 19 so kd is your probably your middle name probably yep you got um, it yeah um I'm very it, original with that name daniel <laughs> you got it wow very good guess uh, yep so kd is in dog or daniel hurls 19 um now you probably don't know what i'm going to read um but you uh do you typically look for ways to reduce the amount you pay in taxes each year where you put where you put your money can be equally as important as how you are invested typically the largest fee we see clients and prospects um paying is taxes so um you're talking about you know your business and how people can reduce you know taxes even dividend taxes um what are like top three things to like reduce taxes I, I don't know or two things is there something that you see with your clients and and guys we're with we're with kyle hurley monroe moral wealth management he has a twitter he has a blog he's everywhere he's a cpa so if you're high-end tax stuff this is your guy um but yeah what are some of the quick and easy ways to save on taxes yeah absolutely so you know we're, we're still licking our wounds a little bit from the from last year right jason pretty brutal year for the stock market but um, you know, what I like to say is even in a challenging environment, there's always opportunity. So in a, in a down year in the stock market, um, you might hear a term thrown around called tax loss harvesting. And that is a good technique for um, just regular investment accounts or brokerage accounts. And basically what you can do in there, Jason, is in, 
you know, if I invest, let's say $10,000 into an investment and I look a week or two later and that's down to 8,000. So I have a $2,000 loss on paper here. If I go ahead and sell that investment, then I can capture that loss of 2,000. And then I can, you know, simply just buy, you know, another similar security with that 8,000 of proceeds. So key thing here is the money stays invested. A, you know, common thing we see with people is they sell and then they sit in cash, which, you know, I will argue is, is not the best idea or approach, but what, um, you know, you can use is you can essentially use that 2000 loss from that loss you just sold from that investment. And you can either offset other gains, should you have those in your portfolio, Jason, or each year you can um, deduct your income by up to $3,000. So that's a very easy, simple way to kind of not only limit the impact of your gains, but should you not have any gains after your losses, then you can actually go ahead and deduct your ordinary income a little bit, um, you know, it, which which certainly helps people. And then another, you know, just simple, easy way, Jason, is, is you know, if I'm in my um, investment account and I own mutual funds, some people don't know this, but the, at the end of the year, a lot of these mutual fund companies, they'll kick off capital gains. So even though I, the investor, didn't sell my investments, but I owned XYZ fund, I might be liable for, for a capital gains tax because the fund, you know, people redeem throughout the year, they are required to sell and I'm still a shareholder. So they pass that on to me. But if I own that, if, if I run into this situation, Jason, where I do get a capital gains thrown my way, but I own it in an IRA or, or you know, a 401k or retirement account, I don't owe the tax now. I simply owe taxes when I take money out of that account down the line in retirement. But if I owned a mutual fund in just a regular investment account, then I would be liable for that capital gains tax in the year that I got it. So it's just little things like this and gets back to the earlier question about asset location. You know, a, a quick, simple fix around this or, or a way to kind of get around this, Jason, is own ETFs in your taxable accounts. Because ETFs, uh, for whatever reason, you can go down that rabbit hole, but they don't kick off capital gains like a mutual fund does. So these are just little things and strategies you can use and implement, um, you know, across the line to just help limit the exposure. I mean, we all, you know, we all have to pay our fair share at the end of the day, but how can I kind of limit that is where we can certainly help. Yeah. And, and it's like, you know, you can buy ETFs or money markets where it give you four and a half, five percent, but then you're paying the tax on it every year. Yeah. It's like, I wish there was the money. I wish there was like a money market where it didn't distribute the dividend, but the, but the valuation got more, so like increased, so that like in three years you're not paying a tax on it unless you sell. They don't really have something like that. I've not seen. They, they. What I would say is to look into what are called tax-free or tax-exempt money markets, and they have those for bonds as well, Jason. So uh, these are again come, coming back to asset location. And I've had a lot of conversations with clients because, as you pointed out, with what interest rates have done over the last eighteen months. You can actually earn some good some good interest on your cash now. But I've kind of mm. proposed this to people via a high yield savings account or buy some bonds or a money market fund, yep. just like you hit on. But that's kind of their, their right away. They're like, hey, that's all great. But if I'm paying 40 percent of my incomes going to Uncle Sam, what good does that do me? So that's why I say, hey, that's a great point. We can still get a, a you know, a we can use a tax exempt bond fund where I'm not going to have to owe taxes on all those dividends and interest I receive. But I'm still kind of in that same mindset of how do I get the best use of this cash? So it's a really good point, Jason. And that's why we always want to keep keep taxes in mind. 
but the tax exempt bond fund. So I'm in a I'm in a one bond fund, and it's been not a great one because they bought it at the wrong time before rates went up. And the problem is you don't get you don't get the stuff to maturity, right? It's just like so. How do you feel about bond funds? I guess just in general. Yeah, I mean bonds. You know, it's it's always like getting back to my thing of just like what are we building, right? And I'm a huge proponent of of owning equities and owning stocks. I think. You know, the historical evidence, if you were to look at it, that's, you know, the way to kind of really grow your wealth if you're able to hang in there through, you know, the volatile times and the ups and the downs along the way. But bonds can be a really good tool for especially older clients and those that are in retirement who are simply looking to just receive income, right? I think, you know, before CDs and money markets and high yield savings were offering these, you know, four or 5% rates, a lot of our clients were saying, hey, where, where can I put this cash where... I'm not going to see it go down 30, 40% like maybe a stock fund would, but I also want to receive some income. So I think bonds are actually really attractive in an environment like this. You know, who knows what the Federal Reserve is going to do, but I would certainly say we're a lot closer to the end of the rates hike cycle than the beginning. So, you know, the thinking there is, you know, I'm going to earn some good interest. And then should they ever cut rates over the next, you know, let's call it 12, 24 months, that kind of, you know, uh, provides a really positive catalyst for bond funds. So it's it's a really interesting time. You know, last year we heard is the 60-40 or 60% stocks, 40% bonds, portfolio dead. Um, I think you would, you know, you would have a tough time making that argument in today's environment. Yeah. And on June 16th, you tweeted, I'm aware of how uncomfortable and painful stock and bond market declines can feel. They create uncertainty and fear and make you feel like you have no control. But it's human emotions that derail investment plans. It's why the average investor underperforms time and time again. And then on June 16th, later you wrote, how have the markets responded? The complete opposite of what the majority expected. They ripped higher. S&P up 15%, NASDAQ up 32%, Dow Jones up 3%. And, you know, like, you're right. And it's just that thing of, like, how long-term perspective, you know, the long-term. I mean, when I was in college, I have some videotape of taping um, this old channel that used to be around. It's called CNBC. And um, the stock market was like at 4,000 or 6,000. So the market over time goes up. So if you can just, you know, sit back and buy the, an index, right? I guess that's what your point is. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I, I always am a huge proponent of just keeping this simple. I mean, there's so many ways you can play this investment game, Jason. And, and you know, I think my role is to really just provide a lot of financial coaching and, you know, really inspiring people to take action because that's the biggest thing that I see a lot of people fall behind or maybe they're in a situation where they don't like to be. And if you were to, you know, rewind the tape five, 10 years, it's because they didn't take some action and they, you know, maybe did experience some volatility and just wanted to kind of get out of the game completely. You know, we had a lot of those conversations last year where clients were saying, hey, I'm, I'm hearing a recession's coming. Like, shouldn't we be in cash? Why, why are we still invested? And, you know, it's, it's a rational question. And I understand, you know, they're, their, you know, emotions coming into play there when they're looking at their statements that are down. But a lot of the times, Jason, is, is what we like to say is you have to put up with all the temporary declines to get all the permanent gains. You know, volatility is the price of admission in the stock market. I wish it was a free lunch. I wish I could get 10% per year guaranteed and, and sit on a beach somewhere. But at the end of the day, that's just not reality. And, and we have to understand that there's going to be bumps along the way, but history has shown us it's it's certainly um, you know been well worth your time if you're able to stick around and stay invested. So that's just human emotions constantly uh, derail investment plans from what we see. 
so for you in particular, like how do you allocate your money? It's a great question. I was a stock picker, you know, in my early days, Jason, I was mesmerized on CNBC, refreshing these tickers and seeing how my investments were doing. And, and it was during COVID. So <laughs> in the beginning days, they were not doing well. I was almost sick to my stomach. Frankly, yeah. I'll say it now because I'm no longer working at the company. But a lot of my days, I was looking at my investments and not technically doing the work, right? Because it can be very yeah. uh, overwhelming and it can consume you, right? This is your money. I'm, I'm very invested in what's going mm -hmm. on. But I just found it, it wasn't helpful, Jason, and it, it, it simply just didn't matter. No matter how many times I refresh CNBC, the stock and the markets are going to do what they're going to do. So I've actually pivoted over the last, I'll call it, year or two, and I am just 100% stock ETFs. I don't care how the market's doing. I just have a, a set amount of money that I put into the markets each month, and I'm okay with it. I'll look at it on a quarterly basis. Sometimes monthly, I'll update my accounts, and I do some net worth overview and, and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, Jason, I'd rather just put some money to work in some ETFs, focus on dividends, and then go live my life. Keep this simple. There's no really, you know, I'll still play the game of, of stock picks and all that. But at the end of the day, I've found it's just not worth my time. Got it. And so you, even if you like like a stock or love a stock, um, you just, you're eat your ETF through and through. Yeah. If I, if I, you know, fall in love with a name or a particular company or whatever it may be, um, you know, I, I potentially will play around with it individually or I'll just search that name and I'll find an ETF that it's in, Jason. Right. I mean, a lot of these in companies and, and founders that people want to get behind and I just say, hey, you already own this. Right. You own the S&P 500 or you own the you own the Nasdaq. This is you already have ownership. So it's it's a good education piece and reminder for people that, hey, I don't have to just own this individual company. I can own an ETF or a basket of companies still have ownership. And most likely, you know, um, don't have as much volatility along the way, right? If you were to look at a company like NVIDIA, which has been making the news, obviously, it seems to be the AI king so far. Um, you know, I used to own that company, right? And, and I used to, when it, when it went up, 200%, I sold it. But look what happened, right? If I was able to hold on to that, I could be up 10,000%, right, Jason? So it's, it's another good reminder that it's, it's really, really hard to own these companies, especially when they're going up and down significantly because you feel like you need to make a move when history tells me the best thing I can do is nothing. Just hold it. So do you miss it? I mean, you were actively, you know, again, Kyle Hurley, CPA, private wealth advisor, um, used to actively follow stocks and trade them. Now, you know, financial advisor at, you know, Monroe Mor Morrow. So like now you're not doing that actively trading thing. Do you miss it at all? Do you feel sleep better at night? Um, especially someone that like finds those opportunities. Like I remember during uh, COVID finding all those outdoor stocks, like um, uh, the, the, the jet ski, the boat company, especially the P Polaris, Polaris and like yeah. the, the stock took off. And then um, the water bottle, the uh, Vita, Veta, I don't even know, uh, whatever it is, you know, the water bottle company, they're everywhere now. Oh yeah. I mean, there's, there's I a million different that. versions. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so you, you did that and now you, um, now you're doing probably the smart thing. So like, do you miss that part? I guess, you know, um, you know, sometimes if, you know, if I'm watching CNBC or reading something or just talking to friends and, you know, and especially like a, a year like this, where a lot of these bigger names are driving the market right now. And, and you're starting to see, you know, some really big gains where, you know, maybe my portfolio is only up 10%, like the market kind of is, but 
maybe I, if I had owned NVIDIA or some of these cruise lines that are just exploded recently, I could be up triple digits. And at the end of the day, yeah, you know, it, it, you could always be doing more, Jason, right? I could be saving more. I could be investing more. My returns could be higher. But I'm just comfortable knowing that the game I'm playing is I'm a passive index investor. Maybe I had a little bit of sizzle with an individual stock here and there. But other than that, I'm focused on funding my short term, my medium term and my long term buckets. And then other than that, I'm living life. So at the end of the day, I, I don't really miss it. You know, that you, you, you can certainly listen to someone on CNBC who can be very convincing. And you're like, huh, should I be in that name? But at the end of the day, I, we don't like to chase. We like to just stick to our bread and butter. Um, and at the end of the day, yeah, I, I honestly feel and I can confidently say, Jason, I've endured less stress along the way and I've still done you know, just what I've wanted to do. Yeah, no, it just it's it's just sometimes that FOMO of not exactly. being in stuff that you know better than you know others, and and yeah, I mean, it, it, there's always a gamble with stocks. I mean, you talk about the cruise lines. I owned a Royal Caribbean Hardcore, you know, for probably a year and a half, and then I sold it probably eight months ago. So I missed <laughs> I I missed the relics. I thought it was just like such a no brainer pick. Of course, as long as nothing happens, the cruise lines like. I'm like, okay, this is the biggest no-brainer pick ever. People are going to take cruises again. So I owned it for like a year and a half, and the stock did nothing, nothing, zero. So I'm like, all right, I'm just going to get out. And now it took off like 60% or something. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot of the stock market's timing. And so you're true. And so you're, so you're, portfolio allocation. So when you have someone 30s, 40s, 50s, is it, do you change how you do portfolio allocation? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, a, a very, you know, if you were to Google how much stocks or how much, you know, what should my allocation will be, you'll you'll get pretty generic responses, right? Take your age or, you know, take 100 minus your age. That's how much you know, percentage stocks you should own. There's little, you know, um, things that you can do like that to just give you a ballpark. But at the end of the day, it, what it really boils down to, Jason, is when I sit with a client or a potential prospect, I first want to know, like, hey, what are you looking to achieve? Like, what do you what do you want to do with all your money? Like, why are you saving? You know, a lot of what we do is a lot of goals based oriented. But, if you know, frankly, if I ask someone what their goals are, a lot of people will roll their eyes and say, I don't have any. And that's OK. But then I'll take a step back and say, all right, which direction do you want to go? Like, do you want to build generational wealth? Do you want to put your kids through college? Do you want that vacation home? And then we say, OK, now that we have a, a kind of a something to, to work towards, how do we construct a portfolio to make sure that you're going to be on track for this? So, yeah, that, that's kind of how it drives it a lot. And, and then you can kind of just build a portfolio um, around just keeping those goals in, in the direction where they want to go in mind. OK. And so being a financial advisor two years in with CPA experience is, is how do new people, how do clients or new clients find out about you? Is it through your social media? Is it through word of mouth? Like how do people find out about you? Yeah, no, I mean, we, we get a lot of referrals from existing clients and, you know, we obviously that is very, um, you know, rewarding for us to not only have clients who speak highly of us, but it also is a little bit of an icebreaker. If they know someone who we've already worked with, that that certainly helps. But yeah, people can certainly reach out. Um, our website's just www.mmwealthmanagement.com. You can, you know, send, um, you know, an inquiry through there. Can reach out to me directly you can find my uh email and phone number online um or yeah just just frankly reach out to me follow my blog whatever you want to do uh, please reach out through linkedin um and, and we'd be happy to help where that's the other thing jason i mean well we certainly you know we'll talk to anyone and and i think 
however I can help someone, whether that's with me, someone else, or if they're frankly just a, a do-it-yourselfer, but they want just a, you know, a little bit of an audit check or just a pulse check, hey, how am I doing? Uh, we certainly do that all the time. So yeah, I would, I would just encourage people to reach out. No, what I like about you, you're you're out there in social media. You even retweet fellow financial advisors. One of my friends, Barry Ritholtz. Absolutely. Um, I see you uh, retweeting. So like, and you have a CPA, which most financial advisors I don't see have one. So it's like you have, you know, an expertise that someone who you know wants to, you know tax advice, tax management. That's why I was asking all the freaking IRA <laughs> questions because it, it's not easy to understand this stuff. No. You know what I mean? Like they don't it's make not it easy. easy. They don't make it easy. I mean, if you call it a Roth IRA, like call it what it is. Yeah. This is good for this. That's exactly. good for this. They don't make it easy. And so there's people to, uh, you know, help out. And you don't have to be in Ma – do you have to be in Massachusetts to use you, Kyle? No, we, we are uh, nationwide, so all over the country. Um, we are we are basically happy to help anywhere. Um, and, yeah, we'll, we'll find it. Like I said, Jason, even if it's not with us, we have, uh, you know, plenty of referrals for different advisors for whatever reason if they have to go that route. But, yeah, we are – um, across the United States. Okay, so guys, you can see Kyle Hurley's content on his blog. You, I think there might be some content on Benzinga that he's going to um, post there as well. And then his Twitter is kdhurls19. What's the 19, by the way? You're not 19 years old. I know that. <laughs> an old, an old hockey number. Yeah, that's a. Oh, you're a hockey player. Username, but yeah, hockey, hockey player. What, what position? Player. What I was position? a forward. Were you, was 19 because of Steve Eiserman? <laughs> I do love Yeiserman. Uh, I would have to say, actually, it was probably for Tyler Sagan way back no. in the day. I was a big Tyler Sagan fan. Um, but, yeah, no, he, huge Bruins fan. Um, okay. Huge letdown this year, but we'll, we'll be back. We got my boy Luch, Luch each back, so we'll see what happens. All right. Big big wings. Well, I'm all, de all Detroit. So it's understand. Um, you guys are making yeah. your comeback, so it's okay. We're Eiserman's, yeah, he's trying. He's got trust some new process, players. Right, Jason? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> trust the process. We had we had a we had a good late nineties, you know? <laughs> and and then it's been a little quiet over here. There's no yeah. good Detroit sports team. All right. Well, I wanna thank you, Kyle Hurley, for coming on. Appreciate it so much. Um this will be up on the Raz Report very soon. Um, and you guys know how to get a hold of him. Any last words? No, I appreciate you having me on, Jason. I'll just say, you know, a lot of financial planning stuff, to your point, is overwhelming. The finance community loves acronyms. So I would just, you know, just really uh, encourage people to take action and reach out because it's it's never too early or too late to kind of, you know, take advantage of it and tackle your finances. So I really Absolutely. appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you again. Thank you.